may have seen the film The Big Kahuna. Who's seen the film The Big Kahuna? It's kind of an old film now, 1999. It's a great film. It's about three salesmen who work for a lubricant company. It all happens in the course of an evening. And they're at a trade convention trying to make a pitch to a very important customer. And two of the salesmen are old friends, and the third is a young guy called Bob. And Bob is a Christian, and he uses the best contact with his important customer to talk to him about Christ, in brackets, instead of talking about industrial lubricants. And the other two are really angry because Bob has squandered the very best opportunity they had of making this important sale. And then one of them says to Bob that proselytizing is really just another kind of sales pitch. He explains that making real human-to-human contact requires honesty and a genuine interest in the other person, with the implication that Bob was not really interested in the other person when he witnessed to Christ. He was just another notch on the belt. And this secular film starring Danny DeVito and one or two other well-known actors put its finger right on what is most awkward about the Great Commission, what is most awkward about evangelism and sharing our faith. And that is, it can feel insincere in that we want to manipulate a conversation and talk about something we want to talk about. And it can feel judgmental in that it can leave a person with the impression that we want them to change and become someone different. And it's enough to make many Christians remain silent about their faith and to relegate their faith into a private area. Like um, a curious weekend hobby that some people have, but not like a really interesting hobby that you're excited to talk about. And a paradox develops where the very thing that is most important to us, our faith in God, becomes a topic we least want to talk about in social settings. I wonder how many can relate to at least some of these feelings. So how does the gospel address this issue? Uh, Well, Luke 21 um, is a situation that happened near the end of Jesus' life when he was in the temple in Jerusalem with his disciples. Now, Pip and I have been to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, which is part of the massive foundation of the temple. It's the only thing left of it today. The temple in Jerusalem was one of the wonders of the, of the ancient world. It was bigger than any other temple in antiquity. Its columns were enormous. Its main gate was overlaid with gold along with the adjacent walls. It was adorned with golden vines and clusters of grapes as tall as a person. The veil was made of Babylonian tapestry with, and embroidered with blue and scarlet and purple. It was beautiful. The temple was huge and absolutely beautiful. Anyway, as they walked in the temple courts, looking up and looking around, the disciples commented on the beauty of the temple. And at that moment, Jesus was was given a disturbing vision of the temple completely destroyed. Imagine what the disciples must have felt when he started talking in this way. And it was a kind of lens through which he looked further into the future to the end of time. And Jesus gave a series of predictions and warnings to his disciples. First about the time when the temple would be destroyed, which actually happened about 40 years later in AD 70. 
but also to the end of the age just prior to Jesus' return. And what were the signs? First of all, there would be false prophets who would come claiming to be the Christ. In the years before and after Jesus, there were actually a number of uh, messianic pretenders who rose rose up, gathered disciples, claimed to be the Messiah, and were rounded up eventually by the authorities and dealt with. But this happened. Then later in the first century and into the second century, uh, there were a large number of what became known as Gnostic sects that claimed to know the truth. They flourished for a time, and then they disappeared. So Jesus warned his disciples, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. In other words, don't be fooled by what these imposters say. Trust in me and do not go after these false prophets. The second thing Jesus warned about was the anxiety around wars and insurrections, earthquakes, famines, and plagues. Now, astronomers tell us that about every century or so, an asteroid comes close to the Earth. Occasionally, it even hits the Earth. But when they come close... Uh, It's a spectacular kind of um, view in the night sky. And in ancient times, uh, these astronomical phenomena uh, were taken to mean that empires and kingdoms would fall. And in the ensuing chaos of political kind of upheavals and that sort of thing, ordinary Christians must have been tempted to think that God had given up on them. And there were many waves of persecution, of course, suffered by the church in in ancient times. There was the persecution around the time of Stephen. And then under Nero, in response to the great fire of Rome in AD 64, persecution was spasmodic, but reached its full fury under Decius, the emperor Decius in 250, and then again under Diocletian in 303. And then, as it is today, many may have been tempted to think, that God had abandoned them to their fate. That God somehow didn't care and that their faith in Jesus was somehow wrong. They'd got it all wrong. How can this be happening to us? And it's the same for us in the midst of a world that seems more and more chaotic with this political chaos and environmental chaos and chaos about crime and um, poverty and abuse so many other evils. In the midst of these things, Jesus says, I am with you, do not fear. Trust me, everything is going to be okay. So finally, we return um, to this issue of bearing witness to Christ, because in verse 12, it says, but before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you because of my name. So make up your minds not to prepare Uh, your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. So our context today is much the same as it was in ancient Rome. There's political, environmental, societal chaos in so many ways, and some antagonism is directed towards Christians. But Jesus both warns us that this will happen but also says that we must see it as an opportunity. And within that opportunity, Jesus says that he will give us words and wisdom that will come across very powerfully. 
So this is not so much about foisting our views on others, um, big kahuna style, but rather responding when we are given an opportunity to speak. And it's interesting that words is from the Greek word stoma, which actually means mouth. So when we have the opportunity, Jesus will not only give us words, but the mouth. We become God's mouthpiece. And through our mouths and wisdom, the wisdom of God will come through. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't bother to become informed about our faith. Where Jesus says, don't prepare your defense in advance, it doesn't mean that we don't grow as disciples and come to master the basics of our faith. It simply means that we don't develop a kind of wooden uh, patter or memorized kind of response that sounds wooden and false. So here are some specific ideas. Evangelism uh, begins long before we open our mouths to another person. I think evangelism, evangelism begins with joy. Joy is the uniquely Christian outpouring of love and gratitude to God for all he has done for us. Joy is an overflow. Joy is about finding the pearl of great price. Joy is irrepressible and not dependent on circumstances. Joy is about having a quiet confidence in God. And joy is not a performance, something we screw ourselves up into a knot over. Joy is natural. Joy has to do with the Spirit of God forming the character of Christ inside us. Here's a second idea that comes straight out of the passage. Evangelism has to do with taking opportunities that are presented to us. Uh, you see, as we grow in faith and the joy wells up, people will be intrigued and will ask what we're about, what motivates us, what causes us to have that sense of joy. It's interesting that most people um, came to Jesus. Jesus didn't really seek people out that much as we read the gospel accounts. They sought him out. They were attracted to him. And when these opportunities arose, Jesus ministered to them. We also need to notice the opportunities that come at us every single day. It is far more effective for people to see something in us that provokes a response and a question than for us to kind of shout louder or engage in a sort of awkward conversation. And besides, shouting louder doesn't actually work. When we push our ideas onto other people, they're often not well received. The absolute key is to live the kind of life that is attractive and that provokes thought and response and questions. And then we can bear witness to our faith in Christ. And here's the third and final idea. Invite people to church. I'm convinced that we take our church community for granted. But it's special. It's one of the only community groups where there is unconditional support, where there is practical help, where there are full range of ages, where there are opportunities to serve, where personal growth is encouraged, where you can ask questions, and where newcomers are welcomed. Yes, the church gets things wrong. 
and it can be frustrating at times. But there's no perfect church, and it's because there are no perfect people. I'm sorry. And when we invite people to church, I hope that each one of us takes responsibility uh, to reach out to others. And in church, newcomers can see the gospel at work among a community of people. It's not just about ideas or theory or beliefs, but practical examples of the way God can change lives and make us better people. It's a famous um, quote from the French scientist and theologian Blaise Pascal, who said, when talking about the Christian faith, he said, make good men wish it were true, then show them that it is true. I'll say it again, it's profound. Make good men wish it were true, and then show them that it is true. In live streams, we're trying uh, to become good people. We're trying to make people wish that the good news about God's love in Jesus Christ is true. And we're trying to show them that it is true. Amen.